Hey, everybody. This is your not properly caffeinated friend, Doug Robertson, with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is March the 5th, and last night, Atlanta United salvaged a 1-1 draw with Toronto on a twice-deflected goal by Mateus Zetu. But in 30 years, that goal is going to become a 35-yard laser into the upper right corner with his weaker foot. But for last night, it saved Atlanta United a point at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and was an example of some things that I think you'll continue to see this season from the MLS team. So now in two games, Atlanta United is 1-0-1. It will play at Charlotte next Saturday in an early game. I think it's 12.30 start time. The rest of this podcast, you are going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda, new designated player, Yorgos Yakamakos, who made his debut after getting his um, visa approved on Thursday. You'll hear from Mateus Azetu, the gold scorer, and Bob Bradley, Toronto's manager, about his thoughts on the match. Y'all asked many, many, many fantastic questions, and I'm going to get into those in the second segment. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson HAC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. You can also call in your questions about Atlanta United. You can do it at any point during the week, and they will appear in one of the podcasts here. That number is 770-810-5297. 770-810-5297. Operators are standing by. Please call. We need your help. Without your support, the animals are going to be sad. I'm kidding. That's just a takeoff of some of those old commercials we used to see when we were kids. I'm a big animal lover, so be kind to animals. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Before we get into Pineda's first quote, it's time for a coffee sip. Enjoy your beverage, please. All right. Pineda described, well, I'm going to let Pineda tell you how he thinks his team played last night. Well, I would say that it was much, much better compared to last year. It was close to perfection in some ways, especially, you know, in terms of the active defending, in terms of not allowing clear chances for them. It was just Bernardeschi's counterattack. That was the goal. The other one was an offside that I think is counted as unexpected goals because, because the referee let it go. But, uh, it, it was very good by my team 
being on the front foot, dictating the tempo, dominating in the final third, uh, having numbers in the final third, creating so many different ways, chances uh, from premises on, from crosses, from shots from distance, from shots from inside, set pieces. And then the immediate pressure was very good. Um, so I'm very happy with the performance, but as you can imagine, we're not happy with the result. Now, there were two phrases that Pineda used that I'm going to try to explain to you all if you're new to the team or new to the podcast. The first is active defending, and the second is primary assist zones. Those are phrases that Pineda uses quite frequently. Active defending is when the team maintains its formation even when it has the ball and is attacking. It's a system to try to uh, eliminate counterattacks from teams, and with one exception, it worked last night against Toronto. So if you're watching the game, watch the players off the ball for Atlanta United. See what spaces they occupy, and you'll notice that most of the time, you still have your lines. You'll still have your line of four on the back or five, whatever the formation might be. Your lines across the middle. You won't see large, large gaps in the formation. That is kind of one of the tenets of active defending. Pineda said it's not a good phrase. He said there's a better one in Spanish, but he has yet to figure out how to come up with, or not how to, he has yet to come up with one that is better than active defending in English. Primary assist zones are another phrase that Pineda uses. These are the areas right at the end line, just outside the 18-yard box, from which he says statistics show when passes are made from these two areas, teams score a lot of goals. So when you see Caleb Wiley or Arahujo or Brooks Lennon or or not Gutman so much, he doesn't put in a lot of crosses. He gets more into the box. But when you see passes coming from those spots, that is why. Because statistically, they've shown that goals are produced when passes are made from these areas. You also heard Pineda talk about the one goal that was called back for an offside, and we're going to get into that a lot in the mailbag because refereeing, particularly in Major League Soccer, often drives me crazy. They're humans, and they're trying to do a good job, but in a league that demands parity, that is built for parity, you've got to make sure the referees get things 100% right or at least have the appearance of trying to get things 100% right all the time. And last night, there were two examples where I think Sagafi, the referee, probably should have taken one more step to ensure that the call was correct. He is a good referee. I've had no problems with him in the past, but last night I thought he made two poor judgments, and it would have been a different game, perhaps, had he gone one step further. But we're going to talk about that in the mailbag. But here's Pineda talking about the two controversial calls. I get the explanation of the referee is always right. That's what I got. So. I haven't seen the place, so probably you have a better angle. And if you have it and you think it was a mistake, talk about it. Now, Pineda was smiling when he said that. He frequently will say he hasn't seen the play when there's something controversial. He's an honest guy, so I want to believe him. But in this case, I don't believe him because I think he's just trying to be nice. He doesn't want to be fined. He's trying to – well, not trying. He is a person of integrity, so he's using that integrity to avoid answering the question. If that make, I know that sounds backward, but it makes sense in my mind. And I, again, I'm not properly caffeinated. So there you go. Here's Pineda talking about Yurgos Yakamakis' debut and what he brought to the team and what he can bring to the team. 
I think it's, it's again, very unfair to judge him. He has one training session with the team. He had a flight, a late flight on Thursday night. So he, he, I was actually a bit worried that I gave him more minutes than I was expecting for him. Uh, I know his feet, but it's just, you know, the, the flight and the mental preparation. Uh, what worried me a little bit, but what he brought is that energy. You can see how he's fully committed to run inside the box, to have double movements, to counter press, uh, to make runs in behind. And it's just his energy kind of attracts, uh, you know, some actions. The goal comes from him kind of blocking a little bit the defender uh, in, the, in, Mar in Rosetto's shot. And his presence just is impulsive, I think. Uh, once again, once he starts to gel out with the, with the other players, he's going to be okay. So again, for those who aren't familiar with what was going on, uh, Yakamakas was introduced by Atlanta United the first week of February and then began the long process of trying to secure his visa. He said he does not know why it took so long. They were never given an explanation, but he had to fly to Toronto uh, to secure the document. That happened late Thursday night. Then he flew back from Toronto trained with the team on Friday, so he's had one training session, and then played the 30 minutes, 31 minutes, whatever it was, last night against Toronto. I, th I thought he looked good. I thought he caused Toronto some problems. He's the one that scored the goal that got called back for offside. Again, we're going to get into that a little bit later. But here he is talking about his first match with the Five Stripes. I'm not happy with myself. First of all, I didn't score. Did it count at least? And then, yeah, I was feeling a little bit tired, uh, normal stuff, but uh, I think I need some more games. I hope not more, not many, uh, and I will, be, I will be informed and I will help my team much more. And he hasn't been able to train with the team either. Uh, when, until you get your visa, you really can't do a whole lot that's considered job requirements. So we asked him how long it, he thinks it's going to take him to get his fitness levels up to playing 90 minutes. It's been a few months since he played 90 minutes with Celtic. It's not about fitness level only. I was feeling a little bit tired, too much travel with the visa and all that stuff, normal process. So next week, I think it's going to be totally different. And of course, if he thought Toronto to Atlanta was a little bit of travel, wait till he flies to Seattle and Vancouver and to beautiful places like Frisco. Here's Yakamakis on if he was happy with anything he did from the match. Not 100%. Not 100% with anything. <laughs> I demand a lot for myself, for myself. So even if I score a hat trick, sometimes I will not be happy. Sometimes I'm not, I'm too egoist, and I know it's not good, but this is me. Now, for those who know Matteo Suzetu, you probably thought that you were in some sort of dreamland last night because you saw him put his first two shots on, or the team's first two shots on frame came from Suzetu which is a little bit stunning because prior to this season, in the previous three seasons, he had a grand total of 22 shots, no goals, and only one assist in ooh, 60 matches. Last night, he had three shots on frame, including the goal, his first. He's already got three shots this season. So here he is talking about how it felt to score his very first goal. Show me Cinto again. At least I'm Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for it. I think, you know, if, if we had won, I'd, I'd be even happier. Uh, but it's something I've been working towards, and hopefully I can score more, uh, maybe 5 to 10 this season. So the, the sound didn't include me going, oh, when Uzetu, score, thought, when Uzetu said he could score 
as many as 10 goals this year. And he kind of just gave a wink of an eye and I think a thumbs up. You know, he's been he's been a polarizing figure for the club because he often just did not get forward. He didn't really offer much, if anything, in the attack from central midfield. That central midfield spot, along with the defensive midfield spot, were two gigantic question marks for the team this season. And through the first two games, Hazetu and Franco Ibarra have really played well. You, we have to give them credit, have really played well. And at this point, even with Sosa comes back, which I think he's eligible to do against Charlotte, I think that's he has served the last of his suspension against Toronto, I don't see either of them leaving the lineup right now. So with all that in mind, ask Hazetu, where is this attacking coming from? It's a good question. Uh, it's something that I've been working on, trying to get forward more. Um, it's something I tried to do last year, um, but just talking more with Gonzalo, it's something that he, he wants me to do is to push forward. I did not offer Justin a bag of Doug coffee to say that was a good question. That was Josetu's comment. So I finally asked a good question. It only took into the seventh season. So I'm giving myself a pat on the back, and I'm going to buy myself a bag of Doug coffee. I'll sell you one if you'll trade to me an international roster slot. And here's Bob Bradley, Toronto's manager, father of Michael Bradley, who is booed mercilessly by the Five Stripe supporters, and I'm not going to complain about that on the match. Football's not real good. Where we struggle to connect passes and play in their end. Um, as a team, the mentality was strong to, to stick together, defend as a unit. Um, and take a point. So, you know, there's steps with teams. And for this team tonight to take a point in that way is still positive. And then, look, it's early in the year. There's all sorts of football things we can talk about. But uh, they pressed us hard. We didn't find the right... Um, we didn't find the right spaces. We didn't play quickly enough. We missed too many passes. All that allowed the, their pressure to just come and come and come and come. There's Mr. Bradley giving his interesting answers to the match. I think I would enjoy covering a team managed by Bradley because he gives really, really good answers. So, so does Pineda, but gives insightful answers. And that's always appreciated rather than just the cliches. All right. When we come back, we're going to jump into the mailbag. Hopefully we won't put a hole in the bottom. And the questions range from how did I ask Sagafi about the two controversial calls to a Ronaldo Cisneros is a vampire to my favorite law and order starting 11 to why did I describe Atlanta United as dominating the game to if this felt a lot like last season, this is Southern fried soccer from the Atlanta journal constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. 
If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal of Constitution for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining. You can get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz. That's Mark Bradley, not Bob Bradley or Michael Bradley. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And now because it's a Sunday morning and Sunday mornings are always good for drinking coffee and reading, I want to tell y'all, if you don't know this already, our Sunday e-paper includes a fantastic kind of sports magazine that sums up the week with a lot of really cool articles, lists, some great photos, uh, sports from all over the world. So you can get everything from NFL to F1 uh, to NASCAR. And this thing, it comes as part of your subscription. It's really well done. So I think that you would enjoy it. And again, it's just 99 cents for six months. I mean, you can't get a banana for 99 cents if you were to walk to the local bodega. And bodega is a fun word to say. If you can include that in your conversations with your loved ones today, I'll send you a bag of Doug coffee onto the mailbag. Tyler says, this is Tyler Pilgrim, friend of the podcast and recent press box joiner. What's the process for asking the rest for their, his words, piss poor answers on a sheet of paper? Like, do you just give it to one of the comms guys and the refs treat it like passing a note in fourth grade? You do, Tyler. So pulling back the curtain a little bit so that y'all kind of understand how we do our jobs. Each Major League Soccer team, home when they're at home, has a pool reporter. The pool reporter is responsible for writing down any questions that any member of the media has for the referees. You actually have to write them down on a piece of paper and sign it, much like you're passing a note in fourth grade that, you know, I heart so-and-so or, you know, you smell funny, those kind of things. You have to sign it because I don't know why. I guess to prove it's not being forged. Who knows? You hand it to one of the comms guys. The comms guys will go to the referee's locker room. The referee will write down his answers, although he doesn't have to sign it, which I find odd. And then you get it back. So last night, I asked Sagafi first about, oh, and you're only allowed three. Three questions and a follow-up, I think. I asked Sagafi why, basically, he didn't at least review Derek Etienne being pushed down in the penalty box in the, I think it was the 71st minute. It was the uh, end of the supporters' end of the field. Etienne had beaten Michael Bradley twice and was attacking another player. And the player went shoulder to shoulder with Etienne, which is legal. But then you see the Toronto's player's elbow, as, he, as it's tucked into his ribcage, come up and out, which is a sign that he continued to push. Anywhere else on the field, and we see that called many, many times, particularly in today's soccer where referees are very prone to blowing the whistle. And his answer was there was no foul committed on the play. I disagree. At the very least, it should have been reviewed. He should have gone to the monitor to look at it. The second controversial call, and this was a very controversial call in my opinion, was the disallowed goal scored by Yakamakis. The whole sequence started with a corner kick. Toronto didn't properly clear it. Almada was on the left 
put in kind of a looping chipped cross. Barada headed it, hit the post. Yakamakis beat his Toronto defender to the ball, put it in. Atlanta United is two to one ahead in the 77th minute. But wait, the assistant referee's flag has gone up. Barada, when you first watch it, looked offside. When you watch it again, and I put out a screenshot of the exact moment on my Twitter feed at Doug Robertson AJC, from the angle of the camera, Parada definitely looks on because there is one Toronto player's back foot keeping him on. So then you say, well, the camera angle, though, could be distorting the movement. So, you know, being the, the dork that I am, I took a piece of paper. And if you look about five yards to the right of that screenshot, you'll see a line in the turf at Mercedes-Benz Stadium where it goes from light green to dark green. Put a piece of paper on that line, which would be the line of the field, the actual, I guess, event horizon line for to make up a phrase, and slid it the five yards down the field to where Parada was, keeping that angle. And you can see Parada was onside again. I don't blame the referees for making the call, but I do think at the very least, Sagafi should have gone and looked at it on the monitor. It's one that could have gone either way, even though I do still think Prada was onside. But it just seems like instead of taking that extra step that was put in specifically for this purpose, Sagafi simply listened to an inexperienced VAR and allowed the call to stand. So that's my whole take on that. So, to sum up, I do think Etienne should have received a penalty kick. It was a soft penalty, but it was a penalty. And I do think Prata was onside, but it doesn't matter. All these things even out over the course of a season. All right, Pat says, Pat, friend of the podcast, wow, Doug, six or seven quality saves by Sean Johnson and Atlanta native. I have, I'm contractually obligated to say that. And a cheeky move to start their goal scoring sequence. My man of the match for sure, followed by Josetu, who forced two of those saves in addition to his goal. Any chance we get an explanation on the offside call? Well, you just did. Come on, Pat. Can you not read the future and not ask me questions that you know I'm going to answer earlier in the podcast, even though we've never met face-to-face? Come on, man. He said he watched the replays this AM, and it's hard for him to agree with it. Two more notes. Not enough targets in the box multiple times on crosses. I agree with that. I actually, I mean... So Atlanta United put in 37 crosses, including corners last night, which tied for third most in club history. When you're playing with just one striker and you're putting in that many crosses, to me, the math just does not add up. If you're going to put in that many crosses, if that is the tactic for the game, it seems to me that you should play two strikers. I said at halftime, I tweeted at halftime last night, because Toronto was offering so little going forward, I would have probably pulled one of the central midfielders and put in uh, Yorgos along with Barry to try to be targets for some of these crosses. You double double the probability, I guess, or not double the probability, but you double your chances of someone being on the end instead of most of the crosses either just simply going through the box or being blocked. Or Atlanta United tried a lot of cutback crosses, but the late runner, either Almada or Huzetu, was not there to take advantage of this. Pat says, I would like to see Lennon drive near post when given the chance. It would help keep the defense honest as they seem to sit back in an almost corner kick posture when he is working to deliver a ball. That's a good point. Gutman does a lot of that 
uh, Lennon, Lennon is making more off-the-ball runs into the penalty box. He had a chance to score against San Jose with one. He had another good opportunity against Toronto. It, it's going to continue to develop. I mean, we're, we're two games into what could end up being a 50-something game season. So I think we should all just be a little bit patient. He continues, enjoy this beautiful Sunday and also the start of the last great race, the Iditarod. Apparently, this is the 52nd uh, iteration of the Iditarod. Try saying that five times fast. So now you've learned something today, at least about the Iditarod, if not about Atlanta United. Michael asks, regarding the Yurgos goal that was called for offside in the buildup, does the VAR have access to different camera angles or views than those on the broadcast? Yes, they do. Do they have the line drawing technology we see used in the Premier League? No, they don't. Or was the call simply an instance where they lacked the view that could have made it clear and obvious that the call on the field was wrong? No, they had the view. They just went with the original call. It was very, very close, so I can see why they did that. But I still think it would have been at least good form for Saskoffi to go and look at the monitor. Alex asks, why did you describe the game as being dominated by Atlanta? Its expected goals was 1.17 versus 0.56, which isn't close to domination and seems to adjust, suggest the tie was a pretty fair result. What I continue to see is a team that doesn't have any attacking ideas. Toronto sat in a low block, and we had no idea how to break them down other than a bunch of very hopeful low-probability crosses. Possession shots and shots on targets have very little correlation with results. That's why expected goals was invented. I think it's well past time we got some sober analysis of Pineda's obvious limitations. Okay, Alex, I disagree with you. I said they dominated. I think they dominated. You want to look at the stats? Well, we can't pick and choose which stats we like. Atlanta United did dominate possession, did dominate chances created, did dominate shots, did dominate shots on target, did dominate crosses. If there was a turnover stat, Atlanta United would have dominated that too by forcing Toronto into turnovers. You watch this game, and Atlanta United dominated in every facet. Now, obviously, the goal is to score goals, and Atlanta United didn't do that, and that's the most important thing. They had the goal call back for offsides, should have had a penalty kick on the Etienne push. Sean Johnson did make some incredible saves. The other team is trying to win too. So one team can, quote, dominate and still end up with a draw. That's just how it is. As for this narrative of Pineda not being a good manager or having limitations. I'm just, I'm tired of it, to be quite honest with you. Give him some time, give him a healthy roster, and let's see what he can do. And if the same things keep happening 10 games in as last season, then we can, you know, have a much more informed discussion of if Pineda has, quote, obvious limitations. Because right now, I think it's very unfair to say that. If you watch last night's game, Atlanta United was clearly the better team. Was Toronto missing some key players? Yes. So was Atlanta United. One of its designated players just had one training session with the team. But still. Anyway, let's move on. Chance, friend of the podcast, says, it's a game where we had four times as many shots and two-thirds possession and still come out as a draw. I will say it looks like we kind of got screwed on a couple of calls, but does this seem like a familiar issue we've seen before? Is it a familiar issue we should be concerned about? I do get that feeling. I understand. I said this to one of the comms guys last night. The first two games feel a lot like last season. But whereas last season's games were mostly dull with Atlanta United dominating the stats, 
last night's game was not. Last night's game was exciting. You saw some movements we haven't seen before. You saw some runs we haven't seen before. You saw players getting to really good positions. And, you know, if this continues, as with the non-fouls, the probabilities will even out and you'll start to see some goals. Chance continues. I know, you know, most of the original Law and Order series and Special Victims Unit and Criminal Intent, but have you ever seen some of the more obscure Law and Orders? Trial by Jury? Nope. UK? I think I have. LA? I watched one episode of that. Didn't like it very much. Organized Crime? Yes. True Crime? I don't know True Crime. That's a brand new one. So I'll have to look that up. Have a good one and enjoy your coffee. Well, thanks. And on we go. Caleb says, watching on MLS Season Pass... They weren't showing the VAR lines for offsides. Is there a reason for that? Yes, they don't have that technology included in in the package. That's why. A little weird, huh? You would think that, uh, I'm assuming that they'll figure this out. I don't know if they can actually introduce it in the middle of a season or not, but I bet we'll see them next season. Mike says, a Braguzan looked to be in good position to make the save. Did I see that wrong? Yeah, that was, so Toronto's goal, we haven't talked about that. Atlanta United pressured Toronto all game long to the point that, I mean, there were times it seemed like Toronto would just rather kick it out of balance and try to break Atlanta United's pressure. But on the goal, Michael Bradley received the ball probably about 35, 40 yards up the field. And for the first time, nobody pressured him. He was able to turn. He looked surprised. He was able to turn. He hit Bernardeschi streaking down the right wing. Andrew Gutman, because Bernardeschi was at full speed, Andrew Gutman really couldn't try to go in for a tackle because that would have been risky. So he was kind of backing up and trying to square off the angles. Uh, Bernardeschi hit the shot with his left foot. It appeared, and I, I could be wrong, that it went kind of under Gutman's foot and then over Miles Robinson's foot as he moved behind Gutman to try to block the shot. So I think Guzan may not have been able to see it very well. It did beat him to his near post. It was a low, hard shot. It was a, it was a Fantastic shot by an Italian national. Again, they're trying to score. But I think that's what happened. Thoughts on Jurgis's first performance? I thought he made some things happen. He's a big guy. He threw himself around in there. He showed his quickness on the disallowed goal. I've given my take on if it was offside. And the result, he says, the result wasn't ideal, but am I encouraged by the performance? Yeah, I think it was encouraging. I think, uh, you know, for Atlanta United supporters, frustrating, as Pineda said, with the result but encouraged by the performance. Now, can they do it on the road? We'll see next week at Charlotte. Nick, friend of the podcast says, we know what your favorite episode of Law & Order is, but what is the episode that would hook someone? Hmm. And for me, would you rather fight 50 duck-sized Andrew Gutmans or one Andrew Gutmans-sized duck? I've been debating this for a while. Nick, buddy, we got to hang out. I would probably rather fight the one Andrew Gutman sized duck. Number one, I don't know how it's going to hurt me other than beaking me to death. Is that even a verb? Besides, you know, to beat 50 Andrew Gutman sized ducks would require kicking and, and you don't want to kick a duck. That just seems wrong for many, many reasons. Oh, what episode would hook someone? I'm going to have to think about that. Ask me that again and I'll give you an answer when we preview the Charlotte podcast. Ive says, what are some specific things that Pineda does well as a manager? Now, I think this was asked sarcastically, kind of continuing the narrative that Pineda is not a good manager. I think he's a good communicator. I think he's a good motivator. I think he does implement good tactics. The team just needs a little bit of time 
to make them happen. I mean, you saw last night, if Atlanta United plays for the rest of the season like it did last night against Toronto, it's going to have a lot of points at the end of the season, in my opinion. I mean, Seattle didn't win a, a ton of trophies for no reason. Pineda was a part of that staff. Just be patient. Be patient. Last year was almost a throwaway because of all the injuries. Jeff says, I really want to root for Caleb Wiley, but he has looked marginal at best so far. He had several bad giveaways tonight. At what point does Etienne get the start instead of Wiley? I'm admittedly not so familiar with Etienne. I thought Caleb played fantastically well against San Jose. I thought he had some really good moments against Toronto. He did have a couple of bad turnovers, but he is 17 years old, and those things are going to happen. I think he's got a ton of potential. So let's not start to make him the, the whipping boy uh, for bad results this season that you know people have made of Brooks Lennon and, and Mateus Huzetu and things like that. I think you'll see Etienne start next week against Charlotte. They went out and signed him for a reason. I think you'll probably see Yurgos and Etienne start next week against Charlotte. Dave says, first of all, the preview episode was perfect. It was the exact amount of time it took me to drive to the game. Okay, well, I don't know if that means the content was perfect or simply the length of the podcast was perfect. I'm going to assume that it was both things were perfect. Yay for me. He continues, I'm looking forward to this podcast. I was interested in watching the boys adapt to not shooting outside the box. They were making a concerted effort, but you could tell they really wanted to. You really could. You could see a couple of times where they wanted to pull the trigger and shoot from 20, 22 yards and didn't. So last night, they only took six shots from outside the box, which is just crazy compared to last week when they took, I think it was 16 shots from outside the box against San Jose. He continues, I was worried when Yurgos came on because it felt like they all wanted him to score, which he did, but refs are wrong and VR is blind. I think they gave up some chances to try and get him the ball in the box. Oh, well, I feel like we're on the verge of something wonderful, and I think it's going to be a good season. There you go. Matt says, did you tell Brad after the game that the answer to your question last week was yes? He's referring to, I asked Brad if the win against San Jose with all the late drama and kind of the frustrating patterns was a little bit like last season. And Brad didn't like, didn't like the question gave me an answer that, you know, was a little salty, but that's okay. It was a fair question. It was a fair answer. I've I've got no problems with Brad. Matt says in all seriousness, I know you're too nice of a guy to do that, but nothing I've seen so far has convinced me that anything has changed from last year or the last few years. Really? I know it's only two games, but do you think this roster can eventually succeed in the system Pineda wants? If it stays healthy, yes, I do. They've gotten the players that fit Pineda's system instead of Pineda trying to make tweaks and things. Again, getting three points on the road at Charlotte would be a huge, a huge step forward in that direction. Friend of the podcast, Adam, says, Around the 80th minute, your ghost was apparently taken down in the box as he went up for a header. From the supporter's end, it sure looked like there was at least legit contact and the Reds player was clearly not playing the ball. Was the standard correctly applied, or should Atlanta have benefited from a pass interference call? <laughs> As we're mixing sports, should the ref have taken a walk over to the monitor to review? I've, I've, I need to go back and watch that. I didn't see it. I don't, I don't remember anybody in the press box uh, saying anything about that. But obviously, if he was taken down to the box and there was no attempt to play the ball and it was like a legitimate pull, then yeah, there probably should have been a call. Adam continues, on the Toronto goal, should Parata have stayed higher and helped close down Bernardeschi? 
Hmm. Yeah, I think Miles was on that side of the field for some reason instead of Barata. But anyway, uh, Bernadeschi, it was it was a good, it was a fine goal by Bernadeschi. It was a good run, good pass by Bradley, and it pains me to say that. And just that was the one breakdown in that kind of active defending that Pineda was talking about. From our view, the ref not only let Sean Johnson kill way too much time on goal kicks, but he also ended the match without even giving the six minutes of added time, despite at least one injury pause in added time. Are we fair in believing that was a subpar performance by the official at game management? Yeah, I thought Johnson took a lot of time. I, I can't remember if Sagafi ever warned him in the game about taking so much time, but he obvi- he, he really did. Um, and opponents are going to do that. When you come to Mercedes-Benz, it's a big field. It's a tough place to play. You, we've seen that now for six seasons, and we'll continue to see that. I was never into law and order, he says. Oh, my God, Adam. But do I get points if I got my daughter into watching all of Cheers and Frasier? All right, I'm just going to forget the first part of the fourth part of your question, but give you lots of points for the second part of the fourth part of your question. Yes, Cheers and Frasier, fantastically wonderful shows. Modern Family, I think that would be appropriate for your daughter. I don't know how old she is, but there's not too many risque things in that. Daniel says, do you think Andrew Gutman gets a contract extension at some point? I love the podcast. Thanks. Yep. I, so what are the many changes within the Atlanta United franchise this year installed by new president Garth Lagerway is the Friday before the San Jose game, Atlanta United put out its roster to comply with MLS rules, but also included contract end dates for players. Now, those contract end dates include the option years. We don't know when those option years start, but I think Andrew Gutman's contract ends in, I think it's 2025 and maybe 2024. So yeah, I think you're going to see him get a contract extension. Jason says, have you heard anything or gotten any impression that any of the roster changes, big George and Joseph come to mind, have adversely affected the academy or the players being developed in the academy? Do any of the young players get coaching on how to emotionally handle professional decisions like moving away from players to whom they may feel a connection. Thanks for your consistent and persistent reports. That's a really interesting question, Jason. And I think that the kids are familiar enough with professional sports at this point to know that being traded or being sold or having to move are just part of the gig. Does it stink to lose your friends? Yes, it does. But you don't really lose them. I mean, with social media now, you can keep in touch with them. Atlanta United senior team does have a sports psychologist. I don't know if he also works with the academy or not. I'm assuming that those kids are covered by their parents' insurance. I I don't know. I probably should find out. But yeah, I mean, it's a tough thing. It's a really, really tough thing. But no, I don't think that the, that it adversely affects them. Uh, they probably get motivated because, hey, there's a, always going to be a roster slot coming open. I can fight, and maybe that'll be mine one day. John asks, and these are... Interesting. This is the second of three really interesting or four really interesting mailbag questions. John says, I asked chat GPT to generate an all time Atlanta United all-star team. The list was great, but had two missing players. Is it too early to put Diego Almada on that team? Well, I guess it's uh, too early in place of whom if it's Miguel Almiron. Yeah, it's too early. If it's in place of like uh, Ezekiel Barco. No, go ahead and put him on. Or Marcelina Moreno, go ahead and put them on. Can you support Jet Chat GPT selection of George Bello over LGP for left back? Well, LGP didn't play left back. He was almost always a center back. So yeah, I can support Chat GPT selection of George Bello over LGP for left back. 
And I hope Bella's doing well in Germany. I know uh, Bielefeld is having a tough time in, in the second Bundesliga and for a long time was in the relegation zone, but I think it's out right now, but I need to go back and check the standings. And for those who don't know, George Bellow lives in or did live in uh, Douglasville, which was one of my former haunts. In the early games of 2021, John continues, my daughter and I didn't know who Andrew Gutman was, but immediately thought he was going to be good and tagged him with the nickname Walmart Bradley. Well, there you go. Thoughts on the nickname. That works. I think Andrew Gutman's probably better than Michael Bradley at this point. So maybe Michael Bradley should be Walmart Gutman. And for those who don't know, I used to be a big Michael Bradley fan, but just kind of as I would watch him and watch him, I realized he doesn't, he jogs, but he doesn't run, doesn't make a lot of tackles, doesn't really create a lot of chances, which are kind of some of the things from that position that you need to do and just kind of fell out of favor with him. And the more people kept trying to tell me how wrong I was, the more entrenched I became that I thought Michael Bradley was pretty much an average player. Now, did he have a good moment last night? Yes, he did. Did I also get a little bit tickled seeing him trying to chase down Diego Almada, who was dribbling the ball and could not do it? Yes, I did. And then here, <laughs> here's maybe the most odd question I've ever gotten for the podcast. Every day game we went to last year, the roof was closed. Any chance this was because Ronaldo Count Cisneros is a vampire? See last year's team pictures. If so, does this mean the roof will be open Saturday? This is funny to me because when we would go to training and we would watch the players, one player always stood out, and it was Ronaldo Cisneros because his face was almost luminescent white. I don't know why. I don't know if he had on just a ton of SPF. I hope he does because, you know, skin cancer is real and can be dangerous. But it always struck me. And he's such a nice guy, too. I, I miss being able to talk to him. He was always a nice guy. Always gave thoughtful answers. I don't know where he is now. I hope he's playing soccer. I hope he's gotten another chance. And, and I hope, I don't know if his baby's born, but his wife was pregnant uh, toward the end of last season. So I hope I hope all that has worked out well for the Cisneros family. But no, I don't think he's a vampire. And we're going to end with this. From five takes on the five stripes. Give us your starting 11 from Law & Order characters. So I probably thought about this way more than I should have. We're going to go with a 3-4-3 formation. Adam Schiff, DA, is in goal because he's tasked with being the ultimate boss of all this mess. The center backs, the heart of the defense, like Schiff, are all, DK, are all DAs because it's their job to make sure everything is solid. So we have Arthur Branch, Jack McCoy, who moved from ADA to DA, and Anita Van Buren, who's not a DA, but still a gatekeeper of sorts. And always loved her on the show. And for those who don't know, she was actually the mother on Mushrooms, the show I talked about last week. And then, like many Law & Order recurring characters, became something uh, much more permanent. The midfielders are all the ADAs because they're you know tasked with trying to solve the crime and follow the law. Starting with Abby Carmichael, played by the gorgeous Angie Harmon. And if you're single and in your 40s and look like Angie Harmon, DM me on Twitter. I'm kidding. Please don't do that. That's really creepy. Michael Cutter, Michael Moriarty, and Paul Robinette are my midfield. The attackers are all cops because they're tasked with going out and getting the criminals. Donald Cragen, who has been on, I think, three different Law & Order series now, but I'll always remember him from L.A. Law. Phil Serretta, 
and Mike Logan, who's also been on several Law and Order series and episodes, despite being what I read to be kind of a, not a nice guy, but in real life, there you go. I want to give a special thanks or a special congratulations, I should say, to the Carrollton Trojans debate team, which includes two of my former stepsons and my son, which won their third consecutive state championship yesterday. So congrats to Mark, Luke, and Will. I'll be at Kennesaw State later this afternoon to cover the men's basketball team attempting to make the first NCAA tournament in school history. I think this is probably the most important sports moment in Kennesaw State history. So if you see me there, please say hi. It's going to be a, a fun afternoon, I think. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.